Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And today I'm going to continue where we left off last week because we just ran out of time at what I might describe as the best part of it. And before I do so, I want to thank, and I really, really mean it, I want to thank, first of all, our partners who, by their regular weekly, monthly giving, undergird this program. We, you and I would never be talking right now but for our partners that have committed themselves to give faithfully month by month to make this possible. Thank you, partners, and everybody listening around the world thanks you. And also thank you for those of you who are not necessarily partners, and yet you send gifts, and I thank you for that. I I want everyone to know when you have that, what? It's that knowing inside that it's time to give. That's how the Lord speaks to us. Um, and, and there's no doubt, if you were this end and could see when your gift arrives, uh, how it arrives exactly on time, only the Holy Spirit could have a symphony that works like that. And so, thank you. Believe me, everyone is noted. We pray for you, we bless you, and we give thanks to the Lord. Okay, Titus. Back to the little tiny epistle of Titus in the New Testament and the chapter 2, and that chapter is about daily living as we mentioned that last week. But then in verse 11, let me read it again. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And what we didn't get to last time was what what grace teaches us. And it teaches us to live soberly, righteously, and godly right now in the midst of this present evil age. But let me sort of ease our way into that. It says grace has appeared. And as we saw that word appeared, it means radiant. It, it means a brilliant uh, I was going to say explosion, but there's in in the sense that it, it's outshining. That's the word, outshining, and, and of brilliance. It, it is a light that enlightens us and enlightens our entire world, so that we see everything as it truly is. So, so grace enlightens. That, that's part of our definition of grace. Grace enlightens us. And that, of course, is referred to not head-on, but it's there through Scripture. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in him shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That, that's what it's talking about. The, the light that emanates from the very being of Jesus is now shone into our lives and into our little world where we live and move and have our being. John, in his first epistle, speaks much of this. Uh, You may be familiar. If we walk in the light as he, 
the, the Lord. Uh, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. Do you remember that in uh, the first uh, epistle of John? Um, and then, of course, in chapter 2 of that epistle, he goes into great detail concerning light being equivalent to love. God's love lightens everything, makes sense of everything. We see everything in its place once that light is shone upon us. And, and it describes the total stumbling, falling, sprawling of the person who is not walking in love light. Yeah, light. Grace has appeared. Oh, let grace is radiant. Grace, brilliant light has shone. And in that light we see now, in this present moment, reality. And in that reality that we see, it says we see salvation. That's the, the meaning of that phrase. Grace has appeared, bringing us, bringing us to salvation, showing us salvation. In the darkness, we didn't see that. And grace comes and shows us. Grace comes and radiant light in that light. We see salvation. And it's for all mankind, all persons. Which, of course, means that I, I have got to realize it's for me. Salvation in all its height and length and breadth and depth, every dimension of salvation, every one of its promises, grace enlightens and says, it's for you. And at least, I'm sure 99% of you listening have had such an experience when you, you realized, and it wasn't turning on a physical lights, it was that awareness within. It was as if your inner being had received new eyes to see. And you saw that salvation in Jesus Christ is for you. Well, once I see that, you understand, I see it, which means before I didn't. Now, that's, that's part of the, the present evil world, that it lays in darkness, which is a blindness in which Satan has distorted our vision. So we don't see things as they really are. We are royally messed up in how we see, how we understand. And therefore, from the very beginning of our grasp of salvation, it is Holy Spirit turns on the light to our inside eyes. We not only see salvation as a, an object out there, we see salvation as it has changed every detail of our existence. And in showing us, remember, whatever grace reveals to us in the revealing is the enabling, the encouragement, the boldness to receive it. It isn't that he just shows you something like in a museum and said there were some chaps, you know, that got this. No, when the Holy Spirit shows us, in that showing is the enabling and the urging, the encouraging to take it. It's yours. Your name is on it. You are one of the all mankind, one of the all persons. Huh. Do you see that? That's what he's saying. The grace of God has appeared to bring salvation to all men. Wow! That's fantastic. Could I, could I put it just like this? Probably before this is done, we'll go back to this idea. But have you noticed that almost every epistle of the New Testament, and you know epistle is an old word for letter, that, that means as these Christians communicated with one another and shared the, the fullness of this life in Christ, Almost every one of those letters begin with the same words. Do you remember? Grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it doesn't matter where. 
almost every letter of the New Testament begins with those words. And when it begins like that, it is not simply that the person writing was saying hello to the people. <laughs> Even if it was, there's a lot more to God's hellos than we'll know in a lifetime. It's also interesting that a great number of those letters also exit with those words. Ha having begun by saying grace and peace, then it gives you the epistle, and at the end it signs off by saying the grace of the Lord Jesus, or something like that, be with you all. And so he sort of boxes the whole letter in the word grace and throws in the word peace to boot. And then he wraps it up. Um, so he is saying, in the word grace, he is saying all the kindness, all the favor, all the giftingness, all the givingness, all the enabling, all the power, all the exaltation that he freely gives to you is what this epistle is all about. You, you could say, I, I think like this sometimes, that as you come to the epistle, there's this great big sign right as you're about to enter the epistle. Uh, you know, caution. You are about to enter a grace and peace zone. Everything that you read from here on is yours to take, to receive, to enjoy through the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he signs out, it's as if he's saying, I hope you got it. It was all for free. It was all yours. Your name was on every word I wrote. Grace to you all. That's... that's that's what we're talking about. The light of God reveals this salvation to us as done, finished, and ours. And so we are bold to receive, bold to take this. Bold. I, it's the boldness of joy. As I said way at the beginning, this, this word grace, it has right there, it is hard, the idea of it's a gift and, and, and can be fully associated with birthday gifts, Christmas gifts. And of course, unless you become as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, this, this word could be seen as the way children receive their gifts. Ha! To come to the scripture like children on Christmas morning. You can't sleep. You can't wait to leap out of bed and open the gifts. And when you get down there, you're almost hyperventilating. And there's grins all over your face. As you rip off the paper, you can't wait to see what's hidden there for you. I look at those children, the joy. And there's another word that we don't associate with adults. It's a children's word, wonder. It's that look of bugged out eyes. They never saw this before. They never dreamt it was coming their way. And they're looking at it. They can't believe it's, it's in their hands and their name was on the paper. Wonder boldness. Whence the boldness? Whence the assurance? Why, why aren't the children cowering and slowly opening the paper with fear on their face as if they're going to lose it when they see it? Because they trust the givers. They trust the dad, the mom. They trust the aunt, the uncle, whatever who gave it to them, and, and they know that if it's been given, that it's going to stay given. It won't be taken back. They won't get a smack over the hand to say, that's not for you. That's grace. Grace assures you. Grace comes alongside of you and says, go for it. It's yours. Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
guaranteed to you by his resurrection and ascension and brought to you now by the Holy Spirit. Take, receive. Every promise of God, says 2 Corinthians 1, what is it, 21, 24. Every promise of God is yes, and it's amen. He means it. He says, take it. And so with uninhibited excitement, we receive it. We receive it. Even though our eyes have never before seen, our ears have not heard, it's never entered into our mind the things that God would do, but he's done it and he's pressing it into us right now. Grace reveals. We see this salvation in all its dimensions is for us. And I say again, we're empowered we, we, in, in seeing the gift and reaching to take it. We are divinely authorized to walk away from this, now to live this. It's ours. It's part of us. Salvation. Of course, I suppose I should point out, and I'm only going to do it briefly, but point out that salvation is not merely an after-death thing. I don't know where you come from, but as I have traveled the churches of the world, I have met literally in the last 60 years millions of believers who haven't got a clue what we're talking about. Believers, and I'm, I'm saying they're believers, uh, but they were taught by a religion that, I'll have to say it, are a bunch of thieves that have stolen a present, now, dynamic relationship with Jesus. Because when I ask these people, what is salvation? They, they answer like religious robots. That, that you, you have uh, invited Jesus into my heart so that I, I, I will go to heaven when I die. Good grief. No wonder your church is such a boring place. No wonder you are so miserable and know nothing of the joy of the Lord. Is that what you think salvation is? Salvation, in all its multi-faces of wonder, is now, in this moment of time in which you and I are sitting and talking, now is salvation. It's about living now. Oh, yes, yes, uh, you'll enjoy Jesus forever. But that's, uh, salvation is now. Salvation is, is in your most personal life. It's in your most intimate relationships. It's in your home. It's, it's in the office. It's in your schoolroom. It's in your university. It's in the factory. It's in the PTA meeting. There. I see life as I've never seen it before. There's not a detail of life that I now see. I see it differently because grace has revealed. Grace has shone light in terms of salvation. And he describes this now salvation with three words. Three words. Those three words, sober, righteous, Godly. Um, I suppose on the surface they don't sound too exciting, but he says that grace has come and revealed salvation, and grace then has instructed us. Grace has become our teacher that in the light of that salvation, in the light of our deliverance from sin and from its authority, the deliverance from the tyrant Satan. Deliverance from our own flesh of being governed by our chemistry and our hormones and our glands. Delivered to be a true me in Christ Jesus. Salvation then begins to look like this, he said. Sober. Now, what does that mean? Well, I suppose in one sense it's a hard word to put into English, the word they're trying to translate here. And some of your other translations will translate it as sensible, which I find even more hard. 
Um, let, let me put it simply. I, I think there are two areas that would explain this word. The first is sober. Well, that means you're not drunk. You're not on drugs. And then also the word would mean you're not insane. And I think I mentioned last week that back there in Mark, is it chapter 5, where the man who was insane through being demonized and after Jesus delivered him, it said he was seated, clothed, and in his right mind. That's this word. You're in your right mind. You're not drunk, and I don't mean with alcohol. I, I mean drunk on the great lie that Satan has injected into the human race. We're not drunk anymore. Do, do you see that? And, and that lie that Satan injected put us out of touch with reality and put us terribly in touch with with a non-reality that Satan told us was reality. And so we lived in this crazy world. We were like drunks. We were like drug addicts on a high. We, we, we were like persons so totally out of touch with reality. That, that's, that's what this word is talking about. So sober means I'm in touch with reality, totally so. I think clearly, I see clearly, I hear clearly. I am not listening to lies and I'm not being tormented by those lies in a fantasy world. You see, if a person is in any way drugged or drunk, there's a number of things that might take place, but they all speak to this. You see, a person who is drunk thinks of themselves as they truly are not. Do you get that? A person who is high in any way is a person that is acting totally inconsistent with who they truly are. In fact... They, they will be stupid happy, well, appear so anyway, they're stupid happy, but it is a totally false happiness. They're happy because they're numb, they're, they've lost touch, their parts of their brain don't function anymore, they're not in touch. It's part of their brain paralyzed to be able to touch and interpret reality, and so they forget life as they've experienced it today or anticipated tomorrow and they're acting as if there was no yesterday and no tomorrow but it's because they're numb and it's very sad to see it and when you do see it you don't join in because you're sad that these people are acting the way they are because they're out of touch with who they are and they're out of touch with truly what is happening. And, and in that state, oftentimes, they become so disoriented and, and, and so doped that another person can lead them wherever that other person will. You get this picture. This is the opposite of what this is. It's um, an exaggerated perception of themselves. Some will see themselves as all-powerful, despising the weak and become aggressive and beat people up to a pulp and afterward look in horror of what they did because they had a totally distorted, hideous image of themselves and, and another will cower as a victim and weep in despair and depression because all of life is crushing them. And really none of it is true. You see, it's, it's all distorted. It's, it's like living in a hall of mirrors. You know those mirrors at the carnival where you see yourself expanded and bloated and all that. Uh, they Mirrors that twist and distort. Well, some people live there all their life. 
persons in that condition will get very angry at a word because they see themselves as so important that none should ever speak a word against them and they're ready to fight to the death over nothing, all distorted, all distorted. Over against that, this word sober, it means, as I say, sober, it means sane, in your right mind, perceiving, seeing all reality, seeing life in totality as it truly is. Or you could say a mind that is in complete harmony with the truth. You, you, you see God as he really is. You see, once you're drunk on the lie, you perceive God as a monster. You perceive God as out to get you. You perceive God as, as with the blood of persons dripping from his fangs, waiting for you just to get his hands on you and teach you a lesson. Down here in Texas, it comes on the news. I don't know if it would ever get on the news in New York, but people are interviewed and give their theological opinion about stuff that's happened. And it happens quite often. Uh, enough that I've used this illustration more than once because it's just happened. And it happened just a couple of days ago. Uh, and and people said, you know, well, God wanted our house burnt down and now we've just got to live with it. What? What damnable lie! Who put that poison into your head? You see what I mean? No, no, no. To have a view of God as he has been truly and faithfully revealed in Jesus Christ. To have a true assessment of myself as I am now joined in with Jesus. And to know that I am in him and he is in me. And therefore, I am beloved of God. I am favored of God. I am the one that lives in the embrace, in the smile and the delight of God. If you meet anybody who is thus mentally, spiritually drunk, or quite insane, they, they will continually tell you they're no good. They'll continually tell you that they'll never amount to anything at all because they're just unworthy. When you hear that, be sad. The person's drunk. They have imbibed a bottle of the lie. And they don't know which way is up. So sad. So sad. And we look at others. And we judge and we judge and we divide and we separate and we draw circles to say he's in, she's out. With no reference to the reality of that one great event in the death and resurrection of Jesus that changed the world. Changed everybody in it and therefore changed our perception of everybody in it. A person who is sober, grace has opened your eyes. Grace has sucked all the lie out of you and has shown you truth. And you see yourself now alive in Jesus, walking in truth, walking in reality, clear-eyed, clear-minded. Or the lie of Satan that was injected into mankind in the Garden of Eden by Satan. That we are the center of our universe. That lie that says we're not mere creatures who live in dependence upon our love, savior, creator. But we are the center of our universe and we're blinded, distorted to reality. And we received as that satanic gift a false reality. Religion, 
Well, that's what religion's all about, to further that false reality. The media is all about that false reality. A world without God, a world where I do what I do because I can. Have you noticed the lie that clings to families? So often when I, I speak to you, I call it your ancestors, but let be more specific. There are families that have, shall I call it, the energy of the lie, and it's unique to your family. And it's passed on as soon as you're born. The lie is waiting to twist your brain. When working in New York City, I met with families who for two, three generations have been on welfare and it, that's how they think. It, it's, it's their mind. They're drunk on entitlement. You owe me. I deserve it. They, they are drunk. They're insane in their brain thinking that the highest peak of living as a creature on this planet is to get as much out of the government as possible. That is a family lie. It's passed on to the children. And the children believe they're all entitled. They all deserve it. I don't have to work. I'm privileged. The government looks after me. That's a lie, you see. And, and there, there are ways of sin. There's ways of hypocrisy. And it clings to the family. It almost sticks in the bricks of your room. Everybody in that family looks like that. So do the grandparents. They, it's the lie. They're all drunk on this particular lie. And lies that come to us from other people. Lies that people assess me, assess you. They're trying to get you drunk. Do you remember Psalm 3 where David reports what they were trying to make him drink in his spirit? He says, Many there be that say of my soul there is no hope for him in God. That's what they were shoving at him. They were saying, You might as well accept it, David. You're too old. You've been too wrong. No hope for you in God. No hope. You could hear it echoing around the walls of Jerusalem. No hope. No hope. No hope. No hope. It's all over. It's finished. You're dead. David gets that bottle of poison and throws it away and he says, but thou, O Lord. You see what I'm saying? Oh, it's coming at us. I remember a fellow who came or would come here to, to our ranch to church on Sunday and he was most upset. He said, I'm never coming back. He said, when I go to church, I expect to be beaten up. I expect to be condemned. I expect people to show me how rotten and unworthy I am and worthy of hell. And he says, you told me to be full of joy. And he says, I can't stand that. No, that poor man is an addict, an addict to the condemnation of the lie. I could keep going, but do you, do you get the idea? Satan accuses, and that accusation is more terrible than any alcohol, drug, inebriation. His accusation. He's always telling you what you're not, what you're not, what you're not. He's always telling him, this is what I should have been, but you weren't. What you could have been, but you missed it. What you ought to have been, but you turned your other way, didn't you? You're no good. You're no good. Look how you've messed up your life. Oh, what you could have been, what you might have been, what you should have been. No. See, we don't find our ID. We don't find our identity in the words of others inspired by the accuser. We don't find our identity in a religion that's inspired by the accuser. We find our identity in the face of Jesus Christ. Recognizing that Jesus has assumed us. He took us. He took our mind. He took our imagination and he took it to death. 
and he rose from the dead, giving to us a new mind. And that's why the scripture said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Why it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Or again, it says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, law can only deal with your behavior, what you mustn't do. But grace opens it up and shows us the finality of God's work in Jesus. He didn't just deal with behavior. He dealt with your mind and your imagination. He sobered you. By the presence of the Holy Spirit he put inside of you. That's the meaning of repent, which of course has been stolen by religion. But the real meaning of repent is is a matter of your mind to totally rethink. It means to exchange your thoughts. Exchange them for the thoughts that God thinks about you. The thoughts of Jesus about the Father. The thoughts of Jesus about you and your world. This is... Do you understand? Let let grace enlighten you and you are walking into a new world because now you see the truth. The truth. Or as Romans 12.3 says that we we should, what's uh, not more highly than we ought to think. And that word ought is... (laughs) camped out around that one for a long time. How ought I to think about myself? (laughs) I don't think any of us have even got close to, to think about ourselves as God the Father thinks about us, to think about us as Jesus who joined himself to us thinks about us. I don't think we've ever begun to realize how the Holy Spirit thinks about us as he draws us to become who he knows we are. You know, it says in Ephesians 6 that that we have the helmet of salvation. You know the word hell, H-E-L, helmet. Um, the, The word hell actually means to put under. You know, hell, basically, in Old English, just means the grave. It means you put dirt on top. Hell met. It means that you have covered your head. You've covered your mind. You've covered your thinking with salvation. It means that every thought that you have now should be clothed in empowering grace, enlightened grace. I remember... I was a pastor in Ireland, and that was, I don't know how long ago. And we we were having a baptismal service in the church, and one of the deacons was helping me. And an Irish deacon is a force to be dealt with. And um, the the people came, and, you know, we, we were dunking them, and they went under, and we brought them up, and they were soaking wet, of course. And this poor chap, he was afraid, I guess. And, and as we put him down, he pushed his head forward. And so when he went down where we normally put people, his head was still above water. And, and the deacon looked at me and he said, his head's not in. And without consulting me, he pushed down and the poor fellow was just taking a deep breath that the thing was all over and his first breath was to inhale half the pool and and down I've never forgotten that because (laughs) when we're baptized we get our head baptized too we're drowned our brain that's where everything you do started here Everything you say originated here. It's our mind. 
We've got to get our mind saved so we can see and think reality as God sees it, as it is in Jesus, as the Holy Spirit leads us to. So that as he is, so are we in this world. It's not your behavior that comes afterward. Get your mind to see what Father did when he placed you in Christ. And when you died with Christ and you were indeed buried with Christ, and that includes your brain, and you were raised with Christ. And your eyes open to see. Huh. You sat down with him in, in the heavens and you looked at life. You'd never seen life like this before. A life wherein you were beloved and a life now that you gave love. Wow. And you see that that suddenly means I'm never alone. I live in the center of love. Then I can understand when Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. All those crazy thoughts that rush around in anxiety. You're drunk. When you're anxious, you are living under the influence. You should be arrested and placed inside the grace of God to see reality. Because you see, all our anxiety and all our thoughts, they all assume that God is not in our lives. At best, he's on the margins. At best, he sort of thinks of us once every 50 years. And instead of anxiety, grace shows us that we have peace that passes all human comprehension. That's what grace teaches you. Revolutionary. Revolutionary. You'll never be the same again when grace has touched you. And righteousness, it says, righteousness. Or 2 Corinthians 5 says, He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's reality. It's not a figment of theological imagination, it's reality. What is righteousness? What is it? I I find most people have the idea that it's sort of perfectly keeping the law. It's, I don't know, I've tried to get it from people. What do you mean by righteousness? I I know when they're done with it, it, it sounds not too inviting. It sounds sort of a very mechanical, rigid kind of life. Righteousness? Righteousness is a covenant term. Originates in the Old Testament covenants. And righteousness means, well, let let me sort of play with the word. Righteousness means right-stepping. It means, actually, one ancient... uh, one of the first times righteousness came into English, it was called right-wising, like clockwise. So right-wise means you're going the same way with someone else. Right-wising, right-stepping together. Another one um, I read of ancient literature, it was right-harmony, right-melody, singing the same song. It's, it's okay. It's a word that meant that you are right-stepping with your covenant partner. The person that you are in covenant with, you are both fulfilling the demands of the covenant. You are receiving all that your covenant partner swore to be to you and give to you. And he is receiving all that you swore to give to him. You are right-wised. You are in right harmony. You're singing the same covenant song. Well, well, then where does all this fit? Jesus became our covenant representative. He brought about our covenant with the Father 
through his own covenant bloodshed. We are brought into relationship with the Father through Jesus. And through Jesus, Father and Son and Holy Spirit give us their very being. That's grace upon grace upon grace. God gives to us. That's his part of the covenant. What's our part then? Thank you. It's it's the faith, it's the rest, it's the belief that rests in all that God gives and says, thank you. So that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's all. Do you understand this? Okay, let's get sober. Let the Holy Spirit the spirit of grace, open our minds. There is nothing left to do. Jesus cried out with a voice of triumph on the cross. It is finished. It's done. And every gracelet that comes to you in every tiny detail of life is yours. This is the freedom in which you live. And all I can do, my response, my covenant response is to rest, believe. Believe that sin is a past issue. It's done with. It's finished. Satan's authority is history. He's been stripped of his authority. The flesh that would seek to make me live by glands and hormones and chemistries of my body and I in the center. We're crucified with Christ. It's done. Of your sin, your sin, he said, it is remembered no more. Jeremiah 31, 31. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. I mean, if, if, if that doesn't make sense to you, say it over and over in your spirit for the next six months. Your sins, your name on it, your sins and your iniquities, the Lord says, I will remember them no more. For a blood has been shed that forever and always has covered and dealt with sin and removed it. So that means we have no sin consciousness. Yoy. I know. If, if you're in a grace rehab center, this is a tough one to get over. Because part of the false reality that Satan, the accuser, has doped us with is a continual reminder of sin. We did not feel holy unless we were telling God what sinners we were. And he says, Truth says, reality is, you are righteous. You are eye to eye, cheek to cheek, face to face. Through Jesus Christ, with the Holy Trinity. You are complete, says Colossians 2. You are complete in Jesus. It says we have boldness. That's in your face. Unashamed. We're at a home with Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We have assurance. We know that as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, so we have risen into the family of the Father. And the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are indeed the children of God. So even when my brain can't keep up with it, in my spirit I know we live in this freedom. Sin is no longer our way of life. Death is no longer overshadowing us. Satan has no more authority in our lives. We're walking in righteousness, in right wise. We're saying amen to everything the Father says concerning us in Jesus. And that has a two-way effect. For right-wise with God means I'm right-wise with you. 
And so righteousness goes two ways. Even as love, we are beloved of the Father and we love one another even as we are loved. And that last one, godly. What's godly? In a word, it means a life that is God-aware. It means a life that is God-filled. It means a life that is God-directed, godly. The Old Testament phrase that describes it, in, especially in Proverbs and some of the Psalms, is the fear of the Lord, which is not scared of him. Fear of the Lord means to stand in awe and wonder at the greatness and the glory and the beauty and the love of God toward us. And we respond to that in childlike trust and obedience. God-filled. In, in Timothy, it says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. And I, I cannot speak about our godliness without holding in mind the ultimate mystery of godliness. Godliness is, is in godliness. It is I can no longer define myself as Malcolm. I can't. Who am I? I can only define myself in terms of the fact that Christ, God in the flesh, now dwells in my flesh through the Holy Spirit. I, I'm an in-godded person. I live in-godded. I eat I play, I study, I sleep in God and God in me. Uh, that's, that's essentially what it, it means. Living life from the inner power of who you really are. But I say again, I cannot define myself just as Malcolm because I'm Malcolm in Christ. I'm in Christed. Christ, I, I can hardly get these words out. Jesus Christ, his humility of love never ends. Do you realize he will never define himself apart from me and from you? He's joined himself to us. That's godliness. You, you've heard me say you know to about people that you say thank you for that song you sang uh, and they they look at you with that uh, beetle look on their face and they, they say it wasn't me it was the lord well that tells me they have no clue about what i'm talking about because they think that's being spiritual but in so saying they have separated themselves from him they're saying it wasn't me it was the lord and the moment they talk like that, it means he's up there somewhere, over there somewhere, even if it's beside me somewhere. There's me and there's him. But if you've understood godly, it means he in me and me in him. I never become him. He doesn't become me. But we are so joined in the most perfect covenant relationship that for me to live is Christ, said Paul. I live, yet not I. It is Christ who lives in me. It's what grace shows us. What shows us. And we grow in this. Huh. I suppose you could play with this for more than the few minutes I've got left. But in 1 Timothy 4, 7... It, it, Paul said to Timothy, exercise yourself to godliness. Which is interesting, just like that. But the Greek word for exercise there is gymnasticize. You do understand the word gym that we have, you know, where you lift weights and do all that sort of stuff. Well, that gym, that word is a Greek word. And Paul used it here, gymnasticize yourself. He said, go to the gym of grace. Exercise yourself. Start lifting weights in the grace of God. 
Exercise yourself to godliness. What what do you do in a gym? You come under ever-increasing pressure to discover and mature ever-increasing strength. Let, Let me be terribly personal. These last, well, really and truly, since last October, the pressures have varied from financial burdens for the ministry such as I have not had in 60 years. That that was in October, November, December. And then in January, our main staff person left and everybody else on staff had a massive medical emergency in their most immediate family that they had to go and care for those persons. And it left just myself and my wife. And that was 99% my wife to do everything in the ministry. From the books, bookkeeping, all the way through to making CDs, taking orders, and so on and so on. That the pressure upon us if I were to stand back and look at it, is huh, enormous, is, is a small world, word. But I can report to you that with the pressure there has come the grace, and I mean abounding grace, because there is now more laughter in that office There is more peace. There is more expectancy of his miracles than I can remember, and I don't know how long. Grace. The pressure is but the doorway into a greater grace so that the pressure has sort of been frustrated and negated for the greatness of the grace that it revealed. You never look at pressure as pressure. Godly man, godly woman, for Christ is your life. And the grace of God is ever shining to show you and enable you that part, shall I say, of the life of Christ that you need in this moment. Well, my time has gone, except to say for the last hour I've been talking not only to you but about you. This is who you are. Grace enlightens you. Grace is around you closer than air. Grace sobers your mind. Grace shows you that salvation has delivered you to righteousness. Grace shows you that you're godly in Christ Jesus. In fact, it's all in Christ Jesus. That is so. I don't care what has been. It has been. Whatever has been. Where is now? Is at this moment, eyeball to eyeball, this is your life. And I'm not talking about what will be, as legalism always says after you've done. I'm talking about this micro moment. The grace of God fills your mind and imagination. And the grace of God reveals to you your true self in the true God who's revealed in the true Lord Jesus, who dwells truly in you by the true Holy Spirit. And as you face life, whatever that means, whether it would normally give rise to anxiety or feeling overwhelmed or feeling crushed by a challenge, stop. I mean stop. Be still. Go apart for five minutes if necessary. Get sober. What is the truth about this? Where where does... This incredible God fit into all of this. Who am I in Christ in all of this? 
let grace enlighten you and understand you walk in step, 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 joined to Jesus Christ in covenant with the Father. And know that you, godly person, Christ is in you in this moment. And now go back and in the light of that, in the enablement of that, in the boldness of that, live as you truly are, you grace-filled person. And now the blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, grace you in this moment, fill you with light, open your eyes, enable you to walk in his favor every day of this incoming week. So I bless you. That is the way it is. Amen.